Hello, and welcome to the Autism News Network podcast, episode seven. We are glad that you're here with us today. This is going to be a timely podcast, including some very relevant material about tomorrow with some election activity happening. I am joined today by a 15-year-old male named John. John, thanks for being here. Hi. Um, well, a cor- correction on that one. It's actually tonight. Oh, it's tonight? It is tonight. Oh, boy. Well, I'm getting <laughs> off on the wrong foot. Okay, yeah. well, let's let's jump right into it. Um, I understand that you have a pretty strong interest in hi- not only history, but also politics. Yes. Yeah, excellent. Um, uh, how old were you when you started getting interested in politics? Well, I'd say I was about eight years old during the 2012 election where I preferred Obama because I liked the color blue. Excellent. Excellent. Love it. And so let's take it to the present day now. I have a lot of people asking me and family members and stuff like, what the heck are the Iowa caucuses? Um, so the Iowa caucus, which is occurring tonight, is a, a election, effectively, uh, in a singular state, which is, of course, Iowa. Uh, this is the first uh, caucus of the... Um, primary season so uh, uh, basically what happens during the primary season is each state decides their delegates to the Democratic National Convention and there's two systems the primary which is effectively just your normal election you go Mm -hmm. to a voting um, place like your state board of elections or your high school or whatever kind of push the button Uh, and you push the button or fill in a ballot or poke a hole you know the whole standard but a caucus system, which is what's happening in Iowa, is where people physically go to like a party meeting at a public area, like a gym, school gymnasium, or a, a, their town hall, mm-hmm. and they all go into these big rooms. Um, and what happens is, for about three to four hours, um, they will debate over um, which candidates they support trying to convince undecided voters at the caucus to join their candidate so their candidate gets the majority. Okay. Um, Now, at the end of it, they have the people there uh, either raise their hand, move into a different room, or uh, separate into groups depending on which candidates they support. Mm -hmm. And the people there will be counted off... uh, in their precinct, effectively, um, and that's how the votes are decided. In a certain precinct, if no one get uh, gets a majority, they c- cut off everybody that got f- below fifteen percent of the vote and do it again. Okay. Um, so it's a complicated system, and. If you want to watch the whole thing, it'll probably be up to like 3 a.m. in the morning because that's how complicated it is. Wow. So when you say majority, does that mean 51% or does that just mean the most? Yeah. If no one reaches 50%, (laughs) they cut everybody off. But in the second round, uh, whoever has the most wins. They don't need a majority in the second round. Okay. I see. That's excellent. So do you know anything about when like the caucus-type system originated? Um, the caucus system has been around for quite a while. Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly when. Um, primaries and caucuses didn't become the main way of deciding a presidential uh, candidate for a certain party up until the 1970s, um, when 
1972, they had a brokered convention. In 1968, everything was also chaos because Bobby Kennedy, who was the front runner for the Democratic nomination, obviously got shot. Right. So they had no decisive figure to lead the party. So they had to have a brokered convention in order to decide it. And everything got flown into chaos. Yeah. So after that, they made some rules uh, where the um, where the state Democratic Party had to hold an election for the people to decide which delegates would go to the convention. And these delegates would represent a certain candidate uh, based on what percent they won in the popular vote. I see. So there's a lot more than meets the eye, initially. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, is Iowa the only state that does a caucus? Uh, no, there are, I believe, seven states that do caucuses. Okay. That are like uh, Nevada, Nebraska, I believe Montana. Okay. Uh, it's a few others. So some of the states that are maybe newer and states that are out west, mm-hmm. further from here. Yeah. Um, um, primary states are the most common way, are probably the best way. I kind of like how they have an open debate mm-hmm. over which candidates they support, uh, because it just helps dis- have the last-minute voters decide. Yeah. Um, but, you know, doing of the system of just raising their hands, that's not an effective way of deciding an election at all. Right, because people can see if there's other people raising their hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's almost like, well, if everyone else is going to vote, why shouldn't I vote for yeah. this person? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, yeah, it sounds like there's some good old-fashioned, like, town hall aspects to it. And mm-hmm. Maybe, do you think the colonists ever did things like that? I don't, I don't think that's how it would go. Okay. I'm sure public votes were probably more commonly used back then. Yeah. Because they would definitely have a harder time counting ballots. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is out of date now because you can, of course, use a ballot. Like, raising your hand in a crowded room obviously is going to have some miscounts. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so, and currently the caucus is up in the air because caucuses, because of how the way they're set up, typically do not go the way they, uh, are polled previously. Interesting, yeah. So, um... For example, in 2016, uh, in the Republican primary, yeah. uh, Donald Trump was polling at 34% in Iowa and ended up getting 23%. Oh, wow. Uh, Marco Rubio was polling at 11%, ended up getting about 22%. Interesting. So it obviously sways a lot. Um, so, yeah. That is really interesting that there is that sway and... Um we saw that in the general election, didn't we, where you know, people were polling Hillary as, as almost you know, their prohibitive favorite, and then she ended up losing the election. Yeah. So you never really know. Well, during the late, of the, during the late game, um, a lot of swing states, Trump did have a surge last minute, and a lot of the swing, swing states got really close. Nationally, yeah. it still was about five percentage points apart, yeah. which it was closer in reality, in the popular vote, Hillary still won the popular vote. Yeah, but she lost the swing states where Trump had tightened. Uh, there is. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so I know you're a history buff, and uh, just switching gears a little bit, what is like your favorite, uh, I guess, aspects of history? I'd have to say modern history, post um, Napoleon, mm-hmm. or rather, um, probably. 
after the formation of the German state. Okay. Effectively. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the World Wars, the Cold War, uh, modern history and politics. Yeah. That sort of stuff. Absolutely. Um, I know a lot's been discussed about, in terms of World War II, being almost like a, a continuation of World War One, but I don't think a lot of people know why World War One began. What would you say to that question in a nutshell? Um, aggressive na- nationalism, militarization, um, basically the world had made large advancements in technologies mm-hmm. uh, and politi- the political balance was beginning to tip yeah. um, you know with western democracies popping up um, and old monarchies beginning to fail yeah. um, so basically tensions of nationalism technology and all that sort of stuff collided together and with the powder keg it only took one shot or it only took a spark yeah. to cause the whole thing to explode. Sure. And that was the assassination? Uh, yeah, of Franz Ferdinand. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Um, and so you've kind of been a student of World War One history, going into mm-hmm. World War II and then seeing how the fallout from World War Two has impacted mm-hmm. the most recent history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, now, were there any books that you recommend for our listeners, like if they were trying to get a grip on World War Two? And they were trying to get a grip on World War Two. There's not any specific book I would recommend because yeah. there's so many books that tell the same thing to you. Yeah. Um. You know, it's all a matter of getting the accurate information because we often have a perception of like World War Two, that isn't necessarily accurate. Um, uh, oftentimes, like if you go on the History Channel or uh, AHC, you know, yeah. the standard History Channels, uh, you'll go on. They have these big dramatized events uh, showing, you know, Hitler and Japan taking over everything. Mm-hmm. And the thing I always tell people is that. Germany and Japan, people always hype up how powerful the Nazis were and always think it was like a big miracle that we won against the big German war machine. That's not the case at all. Um, In my opinion, Germany was doomed in the war effort from the start. Mm -hmm. They simply did not have the resources, the population. uh, They had the technology. But... They, they they had a lot of production capabilities, but they didn't have enough resources to, s- to sustain that production capability, yeah. nor did they have the uh, population to maintain such a perpetu- perpetual war that they wanted to conduct across Europe. Exactly. Um, I've heard things like they had to bring iron ore in from Scandinavia. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they had shortages of oil. Yeah. They, they had... So basically, their tanks were running on fumes by the end of the war because they had... No oil supply. They ran Romania's oil supply completely dry during over the course of the war. Oh, wow. Um, so they had their entire army based around tanks, effectively. Mm-hmm. And so they 
the Blitzkrieg tactics, but they could not sustain maintaining these tanks. Uh, they had these big, powerful armored tanks. Uh, and fast. Yeah, that were fast. Um, but they didn't have the resources to keep producing them. The Germans had a huge tank advantage towards the start of the war. But by the end of it, the Soviets were pr producing... Uh, by 1944, the Soviets were producing about ten times the amount of tanks that the Germans were. Wow. Oh, that's um, so. Yeah, I recently, um, as I mentioned to you in a previous discussion, read a book called If the Allies Had Fallen. Yeah. And uh, they were talking about um, that very thing where the, the Germans... Um, not only fell behind in terms of their production, but also the, mm -hmm. the British bombing campaign uh, really uh, devastated their manufacturing capabilities yeah. after 1942, probably. Um, it became really tough to continue that output. So even though the bombing was um, yeah. you know, strategic and not necessarily pinpoint, it did have an impact. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was... Uh, Germany's capabilities pr pr to produce weapons of war were annihilated, but that didn't even matter in the long run, because the Soviets simply had the manpower yeah. to keep replacing their uh, army continuously. Yeah. Uh, they had 20 million casualties to the war. They could have yeah. sustained another 50 million. Wow. Um, so, Germany uh, could only afford to lose 10 million men yeah. during the co course of the entire war if yeah. they wanted to win. So really, you're right. It was yeah. almost predetermined before the start that they were going yeah. to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, and oftentimes people say, "Well, why didn't they just not invade the Soviet Union?" That was Hitler's goal mm -hmm. the entire time. Yeah. Um, he wrote about it. Yeah, he wrote about it in my comp. Yeah. And if he just waited for until uh, after he finished off the Western Allies, once he faced the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union would have been prepared for the invasion. Yeah. So, it was kind of a no-win scenario for Hitler at all. Exactly. And a lot of people seem to like to imagine the big hypothetical scenarios where the Nazis are marching in on Washington, D.C. Right. and flying the banner over the White House yeah. and that sort of stuff. Um, Hitler couldn't even invade the United Kingdom right. navally. Exactly. Uh, the English had such a naval superiority yeah. that the only thing the German Navy could sustain were submarines because they couldn't be t t uh, detected going around Great Britain. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Bismarck got eliminated in days. Yeah. That's how pitiful their Navy was compared to the British. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you had mentioned earlier um, something about communication. I'm really fascinated by this Enigma machine. Mm -hmm. The more I learn about it, what an ingenious... Um, you know, cipher that they set up, and then the British cracked it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do you know much about that? I, I do know uh, some about it. Um, God, what's his name? Well, apparently, even before yeah. the UK, there was apparently the Poles had done a lot of work on Enigma, and when they were mm -hmm. about to be invaded, mm -hmm. turned the materials over to the British. The British just within a couple of days mm -hmm. in time. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then they went to work. Mm -hmm. um, I forget his name too, but. Uh, yeah, that was pretty cool because yeah. they almost, um, I think the British had to, uh, they knew so much about German operations, they almost had to... Uh, they had to get a, so there was this, um, so there was an Enigma scientist mm -hmm. uh, that the British were looking for. 
so they got the scientist, uh, brought him back to their facility where the Enigma machines they were trying to work on and they were trying to crack the code. Yeah. Turns out this dude had no idea how to uh, do anything with uh, code breaking and he was a marine biologist. Yeah. <laughs> um, but of course they had already spilled all the classified information by that point so they had to force him to stay on base and yeah. not leave. So one day uh, a German officer wa- uh, gets shot down yeah. from the channel and they find his code book in his pocket. Yeah. So, but it's all soaking wet, and the ink is linking and everything. So this marine biologist comes up and goes like, "Hey, I know how to dry this without damaging the information." And so we can thank this random mistake. Yeah. For the entire war effort. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, that book I read, "If the Oz Had Fallen," talks about different hinge points where. If, for instance, that marine biologist had not realized how to dry that out without damaging it, you know what would have happened. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a pretty fascinating book. It was a tough read. It took me several months to get yeah. through, but uh, yeah, definitely worthwhile. Um, now, I wanted to talk to you about some of your interests. I understand that you've been very active in in young young Democrats. Is that right? Um, well. Not really. I've been active in the Democratic Party. Okay. And I attempted to set up the Henderson County Teen Democrats. Uh-huh. Uh, but, of course, that failed. Um, we tried to get a core group of people. Yeah. But that didn't work in the long run. Um, people were... It was an off year. People aren't just... People aren't interested in politics, especially kids. Right. We did it during the school so people had already had plans Mm -hmm. um so we really just it was not well planned we're gonna try again this year but we're gonna try to get it started over the summer rather than during the school season gotcha and so did you just like how does somebody get in into being active in political party you just walk up to a, a rally somewhere or how did you get engaged so, um, I just went on their website, uh, I went on the county party website, yeah. and just saw that they had a monthly breakfast, mm-hmm. showed up to the first one in February of, uh, last year, boom. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, next thing I know, I'm talking to the chairwoman yeah. within an hour of the breakfast. Yeah, that's pretty um, neat. Turns out it's quite easy to get involved in local politics especially when you live in a small town yeah. than you would think so yeah that's interesting so you recommend regardless of someone's political persuasion just to be part of the conversation what you recommend that young people should be involved in in their oh, yeah. community oh yeah yeah it's it's much easier than you think people think of politics as something that's intimidating yeah if i can s- start making political speeches uh at people's fundraisers just by showing up yeah. um, as the youngest person there. Uh, I think, um, you know, a lot of people could be very uh, active in politics, just be like a volunteer with your local party, no matter what party it is. Yeah. They're more than happy to accept you with open arms, and they need all the help they can get. Uh I don't care what your affiliation is or anything. Just be involved. That's, you know. That's great. Try to make the world a better place, however you see it being a better place. <laughs> That's awesome. Man, that is really fantastic. Um, yeah, and uh, I had another thought. Um, 
we might have to edit this piece. Let's see. So young Democrats. I'll have to put a star here. Come back to that. Um, uh, okay. So we may come back to it when it hits me. <laughs> but now we're going to shift gears in a major way and talk a little bit about Star Wars. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now you're in the camp of um, you have an opinion on the last couple of films, and I've heard this from a number of people, like Last Jedi and The Rise of Starwalker. What about Last Jedi? Like, what's your take on that movie? It's probably, I'd say the prequels are worse, but it's certainly not. It was not an entertaining movie for me, and it was certainly not a well-written movie. Um, you know, it had a couple of very powerful and good moments. When it was good, it was good, but overall, it was just slow-paced and bad, in my opinion. I um, Just dumb moments, slow-speed space chase is not entertaining. The whole movie felt like it could have been like a 30-minute side episode of a TV show mm-hmm. to me. That it was too drawn just out? drawn out. Yeah. And then, meanwhile... Here comes Rise of Skywalker, which feels like free movies all condensed into one. Is that right? Yeah. I haven't seen it. Oh, boy. Um, Is it a It's a very entertaining movie. Yeah. But it's just so fast-paced. Like, you want it to slow down compared to the last one. Oh, wow. Um, and the plot is very dumb at times and cliche. Overall... I really liked the movie. I thought it was really entertaining. I enjoyed the movie. There was not... I was not bored throughout the entire movie. I was always on the edge of my seat. But it was definitely not a very good written story at yeah. that. Yeah. So, What's your favorite episode of all the nine? Oh, God. I, I like all of the original trilogy almost equally. My favorite of the new ones is probably Rogue One. But there, um, you know, that's it was the only good one recently. Now, is Rogue Out of is that a saga movie? No. Okay. That's one of the story movies. Okay. But of the main series, there hasn't been a good main series movie since 1984. Yeah. Is that when uh, Return of the Jedi came out? Yeah, 83 maybe. 80, yeah. I think it was 84. They came out. Yeah, it was 83, because yeah. uh, 1977 for A New Hope, 1980 for The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, I know they were in free year intervals. Okay. And so you've watched The Mandalorian. Yeah, I have. What do you think? I thought it was really good. I thought the ending could have been a little bit longer. Uh-huh. The last episode could have been two episodes, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. You know. Oh. Uh, do you feel like... Old Yoda or Baby Yoda's better? Old Yoda, of course. Yeah. He's the, he, he has the wisdom. He has the power. Great character. You know. Yeah. Everyone loves Old Yoda. Baby Yoda's cute, but he has had no... It, he's he's not going to live up to the original. I mean, yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I asked this to a couple guys about a month ago. You know, if you took, like, Obi-Wan, Luke... And Yoda at the peak of their powers. Um, who do you take in a in a fight? Luke, Obi Wan, and Yoda. Mm-hmm. Um, I would take Luke. Okay. Because even Luke 
at the height of his power, got his butt whipped uh, in Return of the Jedi. I don't know, and then he gives up the Force just a little bit later. Well, well, my question was like, who do you think is the strongest of those three at the peak of their powers? Luke, Obi-Wan, or Yoda? Oh, Yoda's the strongest. That's what they said, too. And I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. They were like, no doubt. But he's just a master. If all of them had to fight, Yoda would be just destroying all of them. Wow. See, Um, how do you know that? I didn't know this. um, Well, you see, Yoda has just a very is very tuned to the Force. Uh-huh. Luke um, had no proper real had no real training behind him, mm-hmm. and he was mainly inexperienced. Um, he was not trained well with his lightsaber either. A um, farm boy. Yeah, just a farm boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> He uh he had a very aggressive tactic, but he was um yeah he was just not uh well, hmm. he was he was skilled and he was tuned to the force, mm-hmm. but he was not good with fighting with the force. Mm-hmm. He could feel the force very strong with and connected to the force, but he could not harness the force mm-hmm. to use it as a weapon for good. Yeah. Uh, uh, Obi-Wan was very good at defense. Uh, he was able to hold his own against much, much, much stronger opponents. Okay. And eventually wear them out to the point where he could defeat his much stronger opponents. Okay. Um, but Yoda, um, I mean, Obi-Wan would be destroyed in five minutes if he had to fight Yoda. Wow. Um, so, Yoda, he had the style of flips, jumps, and just overall use of the Force. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if not for Palpatine using his environment around him, he could have easily, you know, killed Palpatine. Okay. Um, you know. But Palpatine got the high ground on him and just started flinging things at Yoda. Gotcha. So, um, the only, the only two people that were able able to defeat Palpatine, uh, were Mace Windu and Yoda. Yeah. Uh, and it's been confirmed by George Lucas that in episode three, Mace Windu actually defeated Palpatine. Like, he didn't just fake, uh, his defeat to lure Anakin, Mace Windu actually defeated Palpatine in combat. Wow. Uh, And Yoda would have, too, if, of course, not for, you know, being flung off a building. Yeah, yeah. So. Gotcha. Well, thanks for enlightening me on that. I'm I'm learning about not only the nine movies, but also the side projects and the overarching uh, Mm -hmm. storyline. Wanted to go back to your political career um <laughs> tell me about the governor's page program and, and congratulations on that by the way uh yeah uh it's a thing held in north carolina where uh you go out to work with the governor uh the executive branch of the north carolina state uh government how awesome i don't i don't know what it entails we're mainly uh doing work with the offices of the governor and we 
won't uh, I will not really be working with the governor directly yeah um, so I'm excited uh, and I hope it goes well um, I'm sure yeah. it will sure it will be great now how do you apply for that uh, you just apply for it, and yeah. you have to get a teacher recommendation uh-huh. and a non-teacher or parent recommendation. Gotcha. Uh, so I got the county uh, uh, Democratic Party chairwoman to give me that, that recommendation. That's so awesome. Uh, along with Brian Caskey, who's running for state senate as yeah. a Democrat. So uh, obviously um, I got some pretty, you know, top people to recommend me. Absolutely. And I think you're going to make the most of that opportunity. Congratulations mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. And who knows, maybe we get to meet the governor and be a stepping Well, student. I probably will be able to get the governor, but it's yeah. going to be like a five-minute shake hand, say hi sort of thing, more yeah. than likely. Um, That's a tremendous yeah. honor. But anyway, I'm excited for the Iowa caucus tonight. Uh, yeah. Should I give my prediction of who's going to win? Yeah, please do. Um, so basically... Um, my thought at the moment that Senator Bernie Sanders is probably going to take the nomination. Mm-hmm. I personally uh, support Vice President Biden uh, in his run, but um, Bernie Sanders currently has the advantage in Iowa. Though a poll released today, a very last-minute poll released today, had uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg in the lead by two points uh, over wow. Bernie Sanders. But uh, four of the candidates were all within 4% of each other. Wow, so they're really clustered. So that's yeah. the way you talked about could yeah. go almost any direction. Yeah, that 11, like upwards of 15 point sway could go in any direction if, you know, they do the elimination thing because no yeah. one will, be, if it, since it's so divided, it's likely no one will yeah. reach a majority at all. Uh, I think, um, you know, I, f- I believe that uh, if, here's the thing. If Pete, Mayor Pete Buttigieg gets below 15 points, which I don't know if he will, he could be, for all we know, he, according to this recent poll, he is the front runner, but according to other polls, he's polling at about 14, 15 percent. Mm-hmm. So if he gets just below 15 percent and is cut off, most of his support's going to go to Vice President Biden. And then Amy Klobuchar is polling at about 9, 10, 11 percent. So if, since no one will reach the majority, Klobuchar's going to get cut off, and most of her support will go to uh, Vice President Biden. Elizabeth Warren uh, is polling 15 or 14 percent right along tide with Pete Buttigieg, for the most part, not counting the most recent poll. Um, So if she gets above the number, that's bad news for Bernie Sanders, because if Buttigieg and Klobuchar or just Klobuchar, or just Buttigieg, get cut off, all his support will go to yeah. uh, Joe Biden. Um, so, effectively, Bernie's best hope is for Warren and Klobuchar to get below 15%, uh, and since Warren has more support than Klobuchar, her, uh, Warren's support will go to uh, Sanders, putting him ahead, while Klobuchar will go to Biden. Yeah, so it's going to be Put really moving interesting. Down. It's going to be very close, is what yeah. I'm trying to say here. Yeah. It, there's a bunch of hypothetical scenarios that I could talk about for hours. Yeah. But I'm just waiting for whoever, you know. I, I will not, we will not know 
who's the front runner until after the Iowa caucus. And I cannot uh, state this enough, but the Iowa caucus is so vitally important to a presidential campaign. It has decided every presidential campaign since the year uh, 2000. Wow. So it really has a lot of uh, Since 1996, if you want to count yeah. uh, Bill Clinton winning it. Of course, he didn't face any primary competition, so yeah. it doesn't really matter. Um, but, you know, the difference this time is that if Bernie Sanders wins, Biden's supporters aren't just going to go flip uh, to Bernie Sanders because it's mainly an older demographic who do not support Bernie Sanders' policies. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know if they'll have the same impact because uh, Howard Dean's uh, support, you know, they could easily move over to John Kerry. Joe Lieberman's support could easily move over to Al Gore. Yeah. Uh, uh, Hillary's support easily moved over to uh, Barack Obama. Yeah. Um, I don't think this will be the case this time. Yeah. Uh, so we'll just see uh, how it goes. Yeah, it's really an interesting uh, political science discussion. It'll be fascinating to watch how this all plays out. And uh, man, I really appreciate you coming in and sharing your expertise with yeah. us, and you know, coming on the air. And we we'll hope that you'll do that again with us sometime. All right. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, thank John, you. it was great having you in the studio great with us. Great talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you to our audience for joining us on episode 7 of the Autism News Network podcast. My name is Dr. Frampton Gwinnett from the Medical University of South Carolina. And until we meet next time, have a great day.